Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. does say who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies and that is how I estimate my wife tonight on these 23 years you may say the same about yours that's okay but for me that's that's her for me amen first Corinthians 3 verse number 9 before it gets real sappy around here let's go to the word of the Lord the Bible says for we are laborers together with God he says ye are God's husbandry. That's a good King James Version word. You're God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. I don't have some flamboyant title tonight. Just simple two words. The church. The church. For we are labors together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and prayer here tonight we have experienced a good touch of his spirit here amen and i want to be just as connected right now in the ministry of the word as we have in other aspects of this service father i come to you god help us lord to hear give us ears to hear lord what the spirit is saying lord now i pray oh god minister lord jesus to the church minister god to your people help us god to be lord what you have god asked of us lord i pray God in this hour and in this generation and we will not fail Lord to thank you Lord for your loving kindness Lord and your mercy and grace in this service tonight in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen God bless you tonight in Jesus name hallelujah hallelujah someone might have to say amen a little louder over here tonight so I divert my attention to the lopsided side here and uh, it helped me out every once in a while. If you see me staring too much over here, just say something and I'll look this direction. <laughs> Amen. Well, this is going to work out nice here. Uh, Amen. Alexis de Tocqueville was a young French journalist who came over in the early 1800s to travel the country and write an assessment of what he found. What made this new country, known as the United States of America, what made it so great? He wrote the following in his book that's titled Democracy in America. And I quote, he says, in the end, he says, the state of the union comes down to the character of the people. He says, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, and it was not there. He says, I sought for it in the fertile fields and boundless prairies and it was not there I sought it in her rich mines and vast world commerce and it was not there I sought it in her democratic congress and her matchless constitution and it was not there he says not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power he said, America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. 
He says the safeguard of morality is religion and morality is the best security of the law as well as the surest pledge of freedom. In other words, Mr. Tocqueville couldn't find America's greatness anywhere until at last he found it in her churches. He found her power in her morality, the morality of the people which was safeguarded by the church. Folks, I know uh, with certainty that the past week has been rather uncertain. And I understand that the past few months of this year have been very questionable, amen, in America. But I come to yield my voice tonight and assure not only the church but the world that the church is still an unwavering entity in the earth. She is not instituted to bend and to bow with all of the societal norms or abnormalities that may be taking place. But the church was created by God to be a beacon of hope and a city that's set on a hill. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 13, he said without mixing or muddling words, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. He said, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And so we have been commissioned from the very beginning of the Gospels and through the book of Acts and the epistles of the New Testament Scripture. We have been commissioned to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We cannot, can I say definitively tonight, that as a church, the church, we cannot ill afford to lose our savor because we are the world's only hope. I just still believe enough biblically that the only hope that the world has is the establishment of the church. The only savior and salvation message that can reach the world is through the venue and the vehicle of the church. And so the church flavors and the church preserves everything that it comes in contact with. And so if the church loses its savor, then it loses its impact. If the salt, as the scripture says, is no longer salty, then its purpose in the earth is missing. Who is going to salt the salt? It is the salt of the world. Now tonight I come, I know, in times of unrest and in times of much indecision in our world, but I assure you tonight I don't have a political agenda. I'm not stewing about anything but I do believe I have a biblical agenda tonight and that is this, that I think it's important right now in these times to underscore the vitality of the church and the importance of the church in the earth. 
I, th I think it's very important today while people have elevated everything else under the sun of what is important that as a Christian and as a pastor that I embrace this podium tonight and say that there is something that is of grandest importance in the world today and it is the church of the living God. It is vital. It is alive. It is moving. It is growing. It is increasing and it's not suffering in any loss of power or demonstration. It is still the church of the living God. The Apostle Paul addressed the church at Corinth and he illustrated in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 that the church is primarily in his estimation as he illustrated it. The church is three primary things. Number one, the church is as a family and the church is as a field and the church is as a building. Amen. It's aspirations as a family is that the church would be mature. The estimation and the ambition of the church of being a field is that the church would be fruitful. And thirdly, its objective as a building is its quality of structure both in foundation and in materials. Paul said unto the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, as a bunch of siblings that you are, he says, I address you still yet as babes. He says, I'm addressing you as babes. I'm addressing the church as a family, a sibling of babes. He says, because in reality, you're still very much so carnal. He says, because there is envy and there is strife and there is divisions. He says, among you and among the masses, if you will, quite Quite frankly, the apostle Paul said to them, he says, you're behaving like mere men. And he says, you're supposed to be the church. He says, you're just behaving just like the ordinary guy, but you're supposed to be the church. He said, what we need, he says, from you all, what we need from you as a family, what we need from you as a body of believers, he says, we need an increase, an increase that can only come from God. He says there needs to be a sense of maturity about the church. I said all that to say this, and again, please understand, I don't have an agenda. I'm just preaching tonight. Amen. That now that we understand that there needs to be a maturity about the church, let me say for the sake of the congregation tonight this. Now is not the time for talking bad about the government. Neither is it the time for hate speech and posts against what seems to be our new president-elect. There must be an apparent maturity about the church. If the church is going to be the hope the same hand that saves shouldn't be the hand that wounds amen we got to be the church with an apparent maturity about us not just in relationship with brother and brother and sister and sister and congregation member with congregation member but we must also have a maturity about us with our attitude and our interactions with society at large because again we are the salt and we are the light of the world that it's all that America has is the church. Amen. Amen. Paul said plainly in verse number nine again, he said, for we are laborers, Paul said to the church at Corinth, we are laborers together with God. We are laborers, everybody say laborers, with God. God. Amen. In other words, can I tell us tonight, we need not be found laboring against God. 
We need not be found laboring against God. Brother McGee, what are you saying? I'm saying this, and please just understand me. I don't know why the Lord laid this on my heart. Amen. But sometimes we are spearheading what we believe to be the work of God. But he's nowhere to be found in our forward charge. Someone say amen. We need to be found laborers together with the Lord. Now look at the scriptures here. I got Bible tonight and that's always reassuring, right? Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have, look at it, someone's about ready to say amen, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We must understand what happened before this because there's the therefore in verse number one. Paul had said and spoken unto the church at Corinth. He said, we beheld the glory of the Lord and we were changed into the same image even by the Spirit. Spirit of God. We, we beheld the glory of the Lord. We were changed into that same image by even the Spirit of the Lord. And so Paul says, therefore, having witnessed the glory of the Lord, having become into the image of God by the Spirit of God that we receive, he said, therefore, we have been given a ministry. We are part and parcels working with God. Amen. In this dynamic of the salvation of the world, of salvation of humanity. We are laborers alongside the precious Lord. Doing what? As the church, we are depicting the glory of the Lord to a darkened world. Now watch it now before we become too outlandish here for a moment because we read this scripture here in verse number two. But we or they renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Someone say, that there, Brother McGee, right's where I'm at. I am renouncing <laughs> the hidden things of dishonesty. But we must continue with the verse in how they accomplish this. They accomplish renouncing these hidden things of dishonesty by not walking in craftiness. They renounce these things by handling the word of God appropriately they renounce these things by, the scripture says, but by manifestation of the truth. Someone hear me right now. In other words, someone hear me. They renounce the hidden things of dishonesty not by capitalizing on harping on what was wrong with that group or what was wrong with that group or what was wrong with that person, or what? They did not renounce the hidden things of dishonesty by harping on what was wrong with the world. They didn't stand there, amen, upon their Bible of truth and start to point out how wrong the world was on this or how wrong the world was on that per se, but the way that they, if you will, renounced the hidden things of dishonesty is they talked about truth more. 
someone hear me right now because sometimes as the church we get bony fingers and we'll point at everything's wrong how everything's not right I wish rather than talking about what's wrong with the world we'll start talking about what's right about the church He says, because the way that, that there is the renouncing of the hidden things of dishonesty is about when you just elevate and manifest truth. You don't have to manifest where something's wrong or where something's skew. Just bring the ruler, bring the straight stick alongside the crooked one. You don't have to say anything about the crooked stick. Just lay the straight one down. And as you manifest truth, Someone say amen. And so instead, I wish today that the church, here's the, 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 the responsibility of the church, that instead of talking about the world, that we would talk about what is good and what is right about God, about his word, and about the church. Because here's the word of the Lord in verse number 2 of 2 Corinthians 4. That in doing this, they commended themselves to every man's conscience. That's pretty good. Because the conscience, by and large, is, is the moral compass of man. The conscience, by and large, is that aspect of, that, guides, that guides us concerning the wrongness or the rightness of our behavior. And yes, the scripture tells us in other places in the New Testament that in the latter days some would have their conscience seared with a hot iron. But let me say this, that's not everyone. He said some, but that's not everyone. And so with that in mind, for everyone that still has a conscience intact, though it may be somewhat confused by life, by voices, by the arena in which we live, we must elevate the church and be the light and be the salt and manifest truth. And perhaps by doing so, we will have commended ourselves to the conscience of humanity. Someone say amen. Amen. So we will renounce these things. How? Not by speaking outwardly necessarily against them, but by manifesting the rightness, amen, and the sureness of truth. Because the Bible says furthermore in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the gods of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves servants for Jesus' sake. Let not the gospel be hid because we are talking more negatively about the world than we are positive about the church. Amen. If our attitude, oh God help me. Why'd you do this to me, Lord? If our attitude is, I can't believe they think that. I can't believe they did that. And you're referring to the world? And you're referring to unbelievers? And you're referring to sinners? Then I ask us a simple question tonight as a church. How do you expect the world to act and behave? Are you expecting a horse to quack 
and a frog to chirp. In other words, people get in their crawl in the church upset that the world acts like the world or that the sinner sins. But what and how do you expect the world to act and to behave? Can I tell you, sometimes we're appalled, amen, at the world acting worldly, amen, and we are astonished at the fact that sinners may sin. But can I convey to you tonight that they are just as appalled at the church because instead of heralding, we got the answer. We join in and pointing out the problems. Instead, we say there's a solution here. We're talking about how bad it is out there. I wish the church would start talking about how good it is in the church, how right it is in the church, how pure it is in the church. Amen. This, 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 this is not a political party problem or a personality problem. Paul says it's a God of this world problem that had blinded the minds of the people. And listen to me. So that what? So that they would not see the light of this glorious gospel. What are you saying, Brother McGee? Woo! I'm saying the devil has some inside understanding concerning the church because the God of this world is so convinced of the effectiveness of the light of the church that his strategy is blind the mind so they'll never see the light because if somebody ever sees the light, it may infect it may impact their way of life. It may change the dynamics of their thinking. If they ever catch a glimpse of the light of the church, it might be game over. If that ever took a foothold on their conscience, it may be just somehow impact them beyond measure. But they won't see the light if all we're talking about is the negativity of the world, the darkness of the world, the problems of the world. How that's not right, that's not right. I can't believe they're doing that or say that of the world. No, 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 no. Somebody needs to live up Jesus. Somebody needs to lift up the rightness of the church. The directive of the church in the world is preach Jesus. They said we preach not ourselves but Jesus Christ the Lord. The directive of the church is to preach Jesus. Someone say Jesus. Someone say Jesus. I'm feeling a little spice on my Cheerios here. Jesus. There's been some over the past few months that have talked more about Trump and Biden than they've talked about Jesus. They've talked about their senator or the senator they didn't want more than they talked about Jesus. They've talked about policy. They've talked about issue rather than talking about Jesus. But I wonder if the church could get back to talking about Jesus. Lift up Jesus. Sing the praises of Jesus. Tell the story of Jesus. Convey the saving power of Jesus. Illustrate the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. Because I'm convinced through the church that Jesus can still change mistakes into masterpieces. He can still change failures into a future. He can change the brokenness into blessedness. He can change the victims into victors. But as a church, we got to manifest these truths in hopes of touching the conscience of mankind. 
I might be a little delinquent on this. We we were gone to Ohio on a weekend, and that Sunday morning came, and I wasn't going to have to preach that Sunday morning, but God woke me up earlier. And I rode over on the side of mine. I started typing in things in my home, phone, things that are coming across right now tonight. And I thought, maybe I'll do some pre-election, but this is post-election, per se. The directive. The King James puts it as this in verse number 9. Not only in the former, the former verses talks to us about the family or the siblings that the church is, but he says that we are God's husbandry. Again, that's a real good King James Version word, husbandry. To say that we are God's husbandry, or to say that we are God's field, that's what it says in the New King James Version. That is saying more than that we are God's allotment of land or that we are God's acreage. Okay. The meaning is richer than that. It's richer than just being God's property. Being God's husbandry means we are his cultivated field. In other words, we are a field that he's invested seed in. A cultivated field, according to definition, is a field that typically has an agricultural crop in it. The practice of even farmers modern day is they rotate their crops with purpose. We don't have time to ask the question. Anybody know why? But they rotate their crops because certain crops take certain nutrients from the soil. And if they would keep that same crop there, it would make the soil void of those particular nutrients. And so they rotate crops so that it's constantly taking different nutrients according to what crop is in the ground. And so in doing so, in that rotation with, with the crops that are in the field, it allows the field to remain fertile. So a cultivated field then, with this rotation scenario, has the potential of not only Brother James of benefiting the field, but it benefits the farmer. But with a larger scope and picture, folks, it benefits the world. Paul says that this is what the church is like. We are his husbandry. The church benefits the church. And the church benefits the Lord. But we have fallen short if it doesn't benefit the world. We're His. We're an asset to the Lord because we're His bride. But we can't get narrow to think and consider only her as a benefit to itself and a benefit to the Lord. We must broaden our worldview and the church must be a benefit to the world because I am convinced the church can help. Again, I know some people already, everything's tanking, there's a boat going down the sewers, you know, it's all over. But I'm still convinced as long as the church is here, the church can still help the whole world. Lastly, Paul said not only emphatically that we were his husbandry, but Paul said we are God's building. The church is God's building. And the objective of the church being the building was its quality and its structure, both in materials and in foundation. 
Jesus likened in the Gospels. Many of you will remember the story. If you don't, I'll sing the song for you, okay? But many of you will remember the story in the Gospels. Amen. How the Lord said those who heard his words and did them was like the wise man that built his house upon the... You guys... And then the one that heard his words and did not obey them was like the foolish man that built his house upon the. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Everybody, three part harmony right now. Amen. (laughs) And the house on the rock stood. Right. And the foolish man built his house upon. Yeah. And the winds and the floods and the house on the sand went flat. That's awesome, man. I knew you would remember it. Both experienced. We're talking about houses here, built, rock, sand. Both experienced, again, you can read in the scripture, the descent of the rain. They experienced the floods. They experienced the blowing of the wind. And more importantly, as the scripture says, it beating upon their houses. The house that fell not. All right. The Bible says one did not fall and the other one great was the fall of it. And if you were to ask, most Christians are normal people, what was the trouble in the story of the foolish man and the wise man in building the house? They would have told you that one had a foundation that was made out of rock and the other one had a foundation that was made out of sand. Is that not, I mean, true? Is that what, I mean, I'm just a pastor, but that's what I perceive that most people would probably say. And that makes perfect sense. It seems to us to say that even with our little song, it makes so much perfect sense. But when we read the words of Jesus in another gospel outside of Matthew 7, where we find that story, further clarity is given to the story in Luke 6. Amen. In verse 48, if I can read the story to you in Luke, it says, he is like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the floods rose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. Look at verse 49. But he that heareth and doeth not, he is like a man that without a foundation. Never caught it before in my life. My mind was always fascinated by the rock and the sand. But what Jesus brings clarity to here in Luke is not just rock and sand, but foundation and no foundation. He says, and built and without a foundation, built a house upon the earth and against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. And so when we talk about the house or the building on the rock or the house and the building on the sand or the earth, again, we are not necessarily talking the comparison of rock and sand as though sand is a lesser foundation or an alternative foundation to the rock. What we're talking about is a building with foundation and a building without someone say amen we're talking about being a building without foundation as we read a little further down as the apostle Paul then is talking to us as being the building being the building the church being the building he goes a little further and tells us you know watch how you build upon the foundation and he goes a little further and talks a little bit about the foundation in verse 11 he says for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ and he says 
says the church is the church with foundation. There's not an alternative foundation. There's not a lesser foundation. It's either with foundation or without foundation. And folks, I'm telling you tonight, we still need to be the church, amen, the church with the foundation of Jesus Christ himself, amen, being the chief cornerstone. Amen, Paul says that the church is the building that is not without foundation. And so when I understand that, my mind goes to Peter after Peter gave the declaration that thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, that the Lord spoke to Peter and he says, upon this rock, he said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What are you saying tonight, Brother McGee? We still need to be the church that's with foundation, that has a rock solid surety because if we'll be that type of church, we are a church that hell can't prevail. We're a church that hell cannot prevail. It doesn't say the church won't be assaulted. It doesn't say the church won't go through the fire. It doesn't say the church won't go through the water. But I believe Isaiah said, I went through the water and the water didn't overtake me. I went through the fire and the fire did not burn me. Why would the church, the building, that is with foundation. Amen. And so we need the church to be mature. We need the church to be fruitful. That goes beyond the benefiting of itself and the benefiting of the Lord, but the benefiting of the world. And we need to be the church that is foundationally sound. If you'll stand with me tonight. Ezra was among those that returned to Jerusalem after captivity. And there were some things that had happened even with Zerubbabel in that return. One of the primary things, one of the first things they ever did, Jerusalem is in ruins, folks. Smoldering heaps by this time extinguished, but just just destruction and mayhem. It is in ruins. It it, It is absolutely no picture of what it had formerly been. And the first thing that they do is establish an altar, the Bible says, that would entail them offering sacrifices upon that altar and worship unto God. And when we get to the book of Nehemiah where the Bible says that he builds the walls and he established the gates around about the city of Jerusalem, before that ever happened, there was a restoration of the temple at Jerusalem. Walls were important, yes. Gates were important, yes. They all had their proper place and priority, but primarily first the altar, and then they came about with establishing the temple, might I say, the church. Because the success of rebuilding Jerusalem was in rebuilding the church. Let me say it differently. The success in rebuilding the city was in rebuilding Jerusalem. The church. I know, folks, that the world, even according to Scripture, has a definitive end. We're told that in the Word of God. But I also know this according to God's Word. That He said that He was not willing that any should perish. 
And so I'm convinced of this then according to the word of the Lord. If we will be the church, I believe I've tried to describe to you tonight the mature, the fruitful, the foundationally sound church. If we will be the church, then there's still hope for the world. And if establishing the church helped rebuild a ruined city of Jerusalem, what can a strong church do for a nation? I know there's a definitive end. But we're still here. So that tells me there's somebody else that the Lord is wanting us as a church to stick our hand into the fire and pull out. And having compassion, Scripture says, on some, making a difference. I don't want, Brother Malone, the world to be questionable about the hand of the church coming for, toward them if it's trying to hurt them or help them. I want them to be able to judge correctly that if the hand of the church is coming for them, it's because they're having compassion. <sighs> they're being mature. <sighs> Hallelujah. Amen. They're being mature and they're, they're, they're trying to help not just themselves and their group. Because they are not without foundation. They have foundation. And the wind's going to come and the flood's going to come and it's going to sail and it's going to beat. But the church is going to stand firm. Anything else that has not the Lord, it will fall. And the fall of it will be great. So there's no reason why I should lord right now over someone, some sinner's sin. Or some societal ideology of an unbeliever. I need to understand the church is the only thing with the foundation. And when the floods rise and the wind blows, it's the only thing that will stand. And so I should be with the utmost desire trying to get as many as I can in the church. Hallelujah. Oh, let's bow our heads here tonight. The church. We need a mature church. I'm not just talking about first apostolic. I'm talking about the church. We need a mature church. We need a mature church. We, 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 we need a church that, that doesn't just have its own interests in mind, but the interests of the world in which it is placed. We need a church that, that understands its foundational, its foundational position and what that can mean for others if we could get them pulled into the church. You're not going to agree with everybody. Amen. You're not, you're not going to side with everybody. Your ideologies and issues, you're going to differ on. But would someone just talk about the goodness of God? Would somebody just talk about the goodness of church? Would somebody just talk about how there's healing there? There's deliverance there. There's salvation there. There's a soothing of the wounds that can happen at the church. Hallelujah. These altars are open tonight. I wish there would be someone out in this audience that says, Brother McGee, I'm leaving here tonight as an ambassador, and I'm going forth into my world. 
world as the church, the mature church, the fruitful church, and the foundationally sound church. Brother McGee, I, it's all around me, and the talk is talk constantly going back and forth all around me about this issue, that issue, that one, this one. You know what? I'm just going to start talking about the goodness of the Lord. I'm just going to start. I'm just going to start elevating the goodness of the church. Hallelujah, folks! You never know if by that you may commend yourself to somebody's conscience. Amen. That helps them direct. You know, right, wrong. Amen. And decide. Not everybody's conscience is seared. Listen to me well. There is somebody still out there with a, 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 a pliable conscience. If somebody would just manifest truth, live truth, establish truth. Don't be mean. Don't be harsh. Amen. Just be godly. Hallelujah. And be the shepherd's heart in flesh. Amen. In the world today. Would somebody be the Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.